So this week, the title of the lesson is The Disciples' Prayer, with a question mark. Um, and then in parentheses, it's not ours. And we'll be dealing with Matthew 6, 9 through 13, the so-called Lord's Prayer. Uh, that's why there's a question mark. Should it be more, uh, better defined by calling it the Disciples' Prayer? Because as we'll see, the Lord never prayed this prayer. Um, some people call it the model prayer. And so we're going to talk about how it is not a model of prayer for us today because of the context in which uh, it was spoken here in Matthew. Um, but some po important points to make about the so-called Lord's Prayer that I would say a better title is the Disciples' Prayer is that Jesus never prayed this prayer. If you go to Matthew 6, 9, it says, After this manner, therefore pray ye. So he doesn't say, after this manner, therefore I pray. Right? He says, for you to pray this way. A cross-reference to Matthew 6 is Luke 11. Verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And he said unto them, When ye pray, say. So both passages, it's when ye pray. Therefore, when you're ready, pray ye. So when Jesus instructs his prayer, he doesn't say, This is how I pray and how you should pray. It's This is how you need to pray. Um, so that's the first point to make, that Jesus never said this was his prayer. Right? He says this is how the disciples need to pray. Um, but if you go to Matthew six twelve, this so-called Lord's Prayer, in it you have the verse where it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. If you kept your spot there in Luke 11, verse 4, it says, Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone that is indebted to us. So how can Jesus, who it says he was tempted but yet without sin, pray Forgive me of my sins, right? That's the point here. So Jesus never prayed this prayer. Okay, this was not the Lord's prayer. It's how he taught his disciples, how they ought to pray. Another point to make on the Lord's prayer is it's often repeated. People repeat it at events. Maybe churches repeat it every week. Uh, and repeating this prayer time and time again is actually contrary to what Jesus has just taught in Matthew 6. Uh, Matthew 6, verse 7, he says, But when you pray... Use not vain repetitions as the heathen do, for they think that they shall be heard for their much speaking. So Jesus says it's wrong to just pray vain repetitions, to say the same thing over and over and over again, just for the sake of repeating it, right? Which is what many churches and people do with the Lord's Prayer. They just repeat these words for word because they think this is how we ought to pray. So let's repeat these words that Jesus said he prays. Right, And so that's contrary to what Jesus just taught about vain repetitions. This is vain if you're just saying something to say it because you think it gives you favor with God. Um, so that's an important point to make about this so-called Lord's Prayer. Uh, and then the last point is this prayer is not for the body of Christ in the dispensation of grace, but rather it is a prayer for Israel specifically when they go through their tribulation, which we will see as we go through this. Uh, so those are three important points to make when uh, covering this passage. And again, I would call it the disciples' prayer because it's how they are to pray when they go through the tribulation. Um, so starting in Matthew 6, verse 9, we'll go through this verse by verse. Um, it says, After this manner, therefore, pray ye, our Father. And so in the context, the our, who is the our, right? Who are the people referring to when it says our Father? 
the context is a reference to Israel. Okay, um, This is seen clearly throughout Scripture that God was Israel's father. If you go to Exodus 4.22... So putting Matthew 6 in its dispensational context, the church has not started. The dispensation of the grace of God has not been revealed. The mystery of the body of Christ has not been revealed to Paul. So it is still Jesus ministering to the circumcision under their covenants, under the law. And so the ire would still be in the context of Israel, God working through Israel under their covenant. In Exodus 4.22, Uh, God talking to Moses, he says, Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, even my firstborn. And I say unto thee, Let my son go, that he may serve me. And if thou refuse to let him go, behold, I will slay thy son, even thy firstborn. So God calls Israel his son, his firstborn. So therefore Israel could call God their father, because they are his son. Deuteronomy 32, 6 says, Do you thus requite the Lord, O foolish people and unwise? Is not he thy father that hath bought thee? Hath he not made thee and established thee? So here it says, The Lord, is he not thy father that hath bought thee? Is he not, hath he not made thee and established thee? So here it says, Is he not thy father? Speaking to Israel. First Chronicles 29.10 This is David's prayer. It says, Wherefore David blessed the Lord before all the congregation, and David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father, forever and ever. So here very clearly, he's talking to the Lord God of Israel and says, Our Father, in a reference to Israel's Father. Isaiah 63, 16. Says, Doubtless thou art our father, though Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. Thou, O Lord, art our father, our redeemer. Thy name is from everlasting. So this is Judah speaking. That's why it says Israel will not acknowledge us. But Judah is two tribes of the nation of Israel. you got to remember they were split. Uh, two tribes and ten tribes. And the ten tribes were referred to as Israel. The two tribes were referred to as Judah. So in the context here, this is Judah. They say Abraham be ignorant of us, and Israel acknowledge us not. You are still our father. But again, it's the two tribes of Israel, right? As that whole. I refer to him as their father. Uh, but just to make this point even more clear in Jesus' earthly ministry, if you go to Matthew 15, this is the Canaanite woman that comes to Jesus, and the disciples want her to go away because she was not a Jew, right? She was a Canaanite. Um, Jesus tells her in verse 24, I am not sent unto the law, but unto the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So he tells her clearly, I'm not sent to you, I'm sent to the lost uh, house of Israel. And it says, Then came she and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered her and said, Is it is not meet to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs. So who is the children and who is the dogs? Well, the dogs would be the Gentiles, right? He refers to his Canaanite woman as a dog. Who are the children? The children would be Israel. So even Jesus acknowledges Israel as his children, but not this Canaanite woman or the Gentiles. 
So again, in the context of God's covenant with Israel, they referred to God as their father. The Gentiles did not, right? Unless, of course, they proselytized and converted to Judaism. And so there, Jesus says, it's not meat to take the children's bread and cast it to dogs, referring to the Canaanite woman as a dog and Israel as children. Uh, so in the context of Matthew 6, the, our father is specifically Israel's father, which is what he's telling his disciples to pray. Uh, but it says, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. So this hallowed be thy name, of course, you have spiritual con uh, spiritual application you can make. We should hallow the name of God, right? He is God. But Israel specifically bore the name of God. When nations thought about Israel and what happened to them, it was a reflection on their God because of the way God worked through them, right? He did miracles through the nation of Israel. And if something bad happened to them, it would ultimately reflect on God. Um, and we see this in Exodus 5, verse 1. I think that's the wrong verse, actually. It says, And afterward Moses and Aaron went in and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel, Let my people go, that they may hold a feast unto me in the wilderness. So that is correct. It says, Afterward Moses and Aaron went and told Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord God of Israel. So again, they set this precedent that this is the Lord God of Israel freeing these people. And so later on in the story of them leaving the nation of Egypt, leaving Pharaoh, Moses prays for God. I didn't write down the verse. I don't remember what it is offhand, but he prays to God not to destroy Israel. I don't know if you remember that. He says, because then the Egyptians are going to say, you just brought them out to destroy them. So repent from this work. So again, showing that what God did to Israel and worked through them through the wilderness was a reflection on himself, right? What Egypt saw happen to Israel in the wilderness is what they were going to think about the God that freed them from there. So again, Israel bore that name. Uh, they bore the name of God as their God. He was the God of Israel, is what other nations referred to him as. If you go to Ezekiel 36, 21. It says, But I had pity for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore say unto the house of Israel, thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sakes, O house of Israel, but for mine holy namesake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither you went. So again, this is in the context of the new covenant. He says he's going to give them a new covenant because if he doesn't, he's going to have to destroy them because they break the old covenant. And they profane his name among the heathen because they've rebelled against his covenant. But he's going to instead sanctify them through this new covenant for his namesake. Again, because they bear his name. And how they behave and what happens to them is a reflection on their God, right? Uh, because Israel bore the name of God. So I just think that's important to make this point, hallowed be thy name. Israel was to hallow the name of God through keeping the covenant. So I think that's important to note in this prayer. It said, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Verse 10, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. To pray for the kingdom of God to come today is to pray for God's wrath to come in this dispensation of grace. Uh, 
um, before the kingdom of God comes, you have the wrath of God to uh, destroy the wicked and bring righteousness to the earth. Uh, Zephaniah 1, 14 through 18. says, The great day of the Lord is near, it is near, and hasteth greatly. Even the voice of the day of the Lord, the mighty man shall cry there bitterly. That day is a day of wrath, a day of trouble and distress, a day of wasteness and desolation, a day of darkness and gloominess, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of the trumpet and alarm against the fenced cities and against the high towers. And I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. And their blood shall be poured out as dust, and their flesh as the dung. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them in the day of the Lord's wrath. But the whole land shall be devoured by the fire of his jealousy, for he shall make even a speedy riddance of all them that dwell in the land. So when Jesus comes to set up his kingdom, there's that day of wrath that comes before that. And so today, if you're praying for God's kingdom to come to earth, in this dispensation of grace, you're praying for no longer grace, but wrath, right? Uh, Revelation 6 Verse 16 and 17, it says, uh, And they said to the mountains and rocks, Fall on us and hide us from the face of him that sitteth on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb, for the great day of his wrath has come, and who shall be able to stand? So the book of Revelation talks about this great tribulation. It talks about how it is a day of wrath. And at the end of Revelation, in Revelation 21, it says, verse 1, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away, and there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And it goes on to describe the kingdom of, of heaven coming down to earth. But that's Revelation 21. The previous 20 verses deal with wrath and tribulation. So the point being, if you're praying for God's kingdom to come, you need to understand there's wrath that comes before that. So you're praying for God to come and destroy the wicked and bring his wrath on the wicked to set up that kingdom. Um, the reason God or Jesus teaches his disciples to pray for this is because their ministry during this time was to preach the kingdom is at hand, repent for it is at hand, right? They were preaching that kingdom. They wanted it to come. Um, this is clearly seen in Matthew 10, verse 5 through 7. says, These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any city of the Samaritans enter ye not, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach, saying, The kingdom of heaven is at hand. So Jesus is sending out the ten disciples here in Matthew 10, telling them to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So again, they were praying for it to come. They were expecting it to come. This is the Messiah here teaching us, right? We want your kingdom to come to earth. We want you to destroy the wicked so that we can have our kingdom back uh, in Jerusalem. And so that's why they're praying for it to come here in this prayer. Uh, the body of Christ will not see that day of wrath, so there's no point for us to pray for it. Uh, this is clear throughout Paul's epistles. We are saved from that and given a position in the heavenly places, not in the kingdom on earth. Romans 5, 9, it says, Much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. 
So we're saved from the wrath that is to come. 1 Thessalonians verse one, uh, chapter 1, verse 10. says, And to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. So he has already delivered us from that wrath to come. And then 1 Thessalonians 5, 9 says, For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So the body of Christ will not see that day of wrath. We've been saved from it. We've been already delivered from it. We are appointed to salvation, not wrath. Um, I didn't have this on the outline, but just sitting here thinking about it, the prayer is also for thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. So again, they're specifically praying for that kingdom to come down, for righteousness to be established on the earth, which is a good thing. But as members of the body of Christ, what is God's will for us today? It's to have all men see the fellowship of the mystery, right? To preach the gospel of grace, not judgment or wrath is coming, so you need to repent. Right? That is not our message. That is not God's will for us today. So again, to pray for this, for the kingdom to come, for wrath, would be contrary to the will of God and what he has revealed for us to do today. So again, making that point, this is why this prayer is not for us. Uh, but continuing on, verse 11, it says, Give us this day our daily bread. No one today prays this with sincerity when they have biscuits, wheat thins, loaves of bread in their pantry. Why are you praying for daily bread when your pantry is full of it? Right? Uh, again, you have to understand the context. Israel, in their history, needed daily bread before when they were in the wilderness. In Exodus 16, verse 15 through 21... It says, And when the children of Israel saw it, they said one to another, It is manna, for they wist not what it was. And Moses said unto them, This is the bread which the Lord hath given you to eat. This is the thing which the Lord hath commanded. Gather of it every man according to his eating, and omer for every man. According to the number of your persons, take ye every man for them which are in his tents. And the children of Israel did so, and gathered some, some more, some less. And when they did meet it with an omer, he that gathered much had nothing over and he that gathered little had no lack. They gathered every man according to his eating. And Moses said, Let no man leave of it till the morning. Notwithstanding, they hearkened not unto Moses, but some of them left of it until the morning, and it bred worms and stank, and Moses was wroth with them. And they gathered it every morning, every man according to his eating, and when the sun waxed hot, it melted. So again, this is something they did daily, right? God provided their daily bread, literally, in the wilderness by providing this manna. They'd gather it in the morning. It was enough to get them through the day. That was all they needed to gather because it would be there again the next morning. So they were dependent on God to provide their daily bread. Um, so, of course, that had happened in Israel's history here in Matthew 6, but it would also happen again in the tribulation. In Micah 7, Verse 14, it says, uh, Feed thy people with thy rod, the flock of thine heritage, which dwell solitarily in the wood, in the midst of Carmel. Let them feed in Bashan and Gilead, as in the days of old, according to the days of thy coming out of the land of Egypt, will I show unto him marvelous things. So again, this is futuristic, talking about those in solitarity fleeing the tribulation. Um, they would need to be provided for daily. Uh, you also see in Revelation, 
12, verse 13 through 14. It says, And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished for a time and times and a half a time from the face of the serpent. So this woman is actually Israel, and it talks about she is in the wilderness where she is nourished. So there the point being, God is going to provide for Israel during this tribulation. He's going to nourish them with daily bread. Uh, and then just to further the point, again, it's not on your outline, but during Jesus' earthly ministry, the disciples sold all that they had and followed him. So again, they were dependent on God, on Jesus, to provide their food. And this is why you had the miracles, right? He break and two loaves, five fishes, or five fishes, five loaves, two fishes. I can't remember which one it was now. But he break it and fed 5,000. And then he had 12 baskets left over providing for presumably the 12 uh, disciples. So again, even in his earthly ministry, they depended on God, trusted in Jesus to provide their daily bread, literally. So again, a lot of people will spiritualize this, you know, give us this daily, daily bread. They'll say, well, you need to pray in your, your everyday prayers for God to meet your needs. That's not what it says, right? Again, it's literal. The context is uh, Israel going through the tribulation and how they are to pray during that time. They're going to rely on God to provide for them uh, to meet their daily, literal daily bread. Uh, the instructions for the body of Christ concerning your food and your daily bread is found in 2 Thessalonians 3, verse 10 through 12. Paul says, For even, even when we were with you, this we commanded you, that if any man would not work, neither should he eat. For we hear that there are some which walk among you disorderly, working not at all, but are busybodies. Now them that are such we command and exhort by our Lord Jesus Christ that with quietness they work and eat their own bread. So the instruction for today is work, buy your own bread, and eat that. So you work for it yourself, and then you go and buy it, which is what we do today. And then after we buy it, we go and pray, God provide our daily bread. Right? It doesn't make sense. You've already done what God has told you to do. You can stop there. Right? You don't have to pray for God to provide your daily bread when you can do what he said go work, make money, and then buy it, right? Uh, so that is the instruction for us today, to work and eat our own bread. Uh, so again, showing that this is contrary to what Paul teaches. Uh, verse 12, it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, this is conditional, or what you would call covenant forgiveness. It's not how we receive forgiveness from God today. We do not ask God to forgive us based on how we forgive others, right? And to that we say, thank God, right? Because we are sinners, we fail. There are times where we hold grudges. We don't want to forgive people. And if God forgave us based on that, we would be in bad shape. Uh, but under the law, Israel received forgiveness by having faith that God would forgive them based on them performing what he said to do. So again, you think about the Old Testament, the Old Covenant. God told them to do sacrifices to receive forgiveness. So if they did not do those sacrifices, do you think they would have got forgiveness? Even if they said, well, I know God can forgive me. He's a loving God. He can forgive me. But I'm not going to do that sacrifice. That person's not going to get forgiveness because they're not doing what God has said to do. Um, Leviticus 5, verse 5 through 6. The instruction here says, 
And it shall be when he shall be guilty in one of these things that he shall confess that he hath sinned in that thing, and he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord for his sin which he hath sinned, a female from a f the flock, a lamb or a kid of goats, for a sin offering, and the priest shall make an atonement for him concerning his sin. So when someone has sinned, they confess that they sin, they confess that they're guilty of that sin, and they bring an offering uh, for the priest to perform, make an atonement for them. So again, you have that sacrificial system that God gave Israel to do in the Old Testament. Leviticus 6, 6-7, through 7, it says, And he shall bring his trespass offering unto the Lord, a ram without blemish, out of the flock, with thy estimation for a trespass offering unto the priest. And the priest shall make an atonement for him before the Lord, and it shall be forgiven him for anything of all that he hath done in trespassing therein. So it's only forgiven after they've performed uh, this sacrifice, right? Given the offering of the ram to the priest to perform an atonement for them. That's how they receive forgiveness for their sin. Second Chronicles 7.14. This is a very popular verse. He says, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will hear their land. So again, context is key here. It goes back to actually the chapter before where Solomon prays his prayer after he's built the temple, saying, If thy people come and confess their sins and admit their wrong, forgive them. That's what he's praying to God. And God says, basically, my people which are called by name humble themselves admit their sin admit their fault and turn from it I will forgive them so again here you have to be humble you have to seek God's face and you have to turn from that wicked way for him to forgive you so again that covenant or conditional forgiveness 1 John 1 9 uh, he is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness if we confess our sin right if we confess our sin he is faithful and just to forgive us so again that's conditional if we confess he is faithful and just to forgive what happens if you don't confess? That means he's not going to forgive, right? And again, that's also uh, a cross-reference to the prayer that Solomon prays. If they confess, forgive them. And he says, I will do that. Um, so again, Israel had conditional forgiveness. They were told to do things in order to receive forgiveness. Um, here in Matthew 6, just to make it very clear, Matthew six twelve it says, Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Uh, verse 13 is the last verse of this so-called Lord's Prayer. And then verse 14, he says, For if you forgive men their trespass, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespass, neither will your Father forgive your trespass. So he makes it very clear what he means by uh, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And what he means is God will forgive you if you forgive others. But if you don't forgive others, God will not forgive you. Um, so again, this is conditional or covenant forgiveness being taught here in Matthew 6. Members of the body of Christ today receive forgiveness by faith in the cross work of Christ. Ephesians 1 7. It says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. So we have forgiveness today through Christ's blood, and it's according to not how we forgive others not based on a sacrificial system or us humbling ourselves and turning from our wicked ways. It's according to the riches of his grace, right? And based on the blood that he shed. Colossians 2.13. It says, In you, being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, hath he quickened together with him, having forgiven you all trespasses. 
So it's very clear, having forgiven, past tense, you, all trespasses, not past trespasses, not some trespasses, not confessed trespasses, but all trespasses. You're forgiven of all sin based on the blood and the work of Jesus Christ. So if you cross-reference Matthew 6, which we just read, where he said, um, if you forgive others, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you don't forgive others, neither will your Heavenly Father forgive you. Cross-reference that with Ephesians 4.32. And it's very clear these are contrary one to the other. Ephesians 4.32, be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. So Matthew 6, it teaches to forgive to get forgiveness. Ephesians 4 says, forgive because you already have forgiveness. So it's uh, basically the reverse of what Matthew 6 teaches. So again, very clear, this prayer is not for the body of Christ to pray today. Uh, and then Matthew 6, 13, And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. So lead us not into temptation. It is not meaning... Lord, don't lead me to be tempted to kill this man. That's not what temptation means here in this context. Uh, temptation can mean to be tried for a trial. Um, in Genesis, it talks about Abraham, uh, God try, uh, tempted Abraham. He was proving Abraham, proving his faith. He was giving Abraham a trial uh, when he told him to kill Isaac. Uh, same thing here. Uh, lead us not to temptation, but deliver us from evil. Lead us not through the trial, but deliver us from it. That's what they are to pray. Uh, James 1, verse 12, says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So it says, Blessed is the man who uh, endureth temptation, for when he is tried. So again, they're connected. It's a trial, a proving. Um, and God will leave Israel away from that evil. He will help them through their trial, their tribulation. In Luke 2, 28 and 29. Luke 22, 28 and 29. He says, Ye are they which have continued with me in my temptations. So this is Jesus speaking. He says, You are they which have uh, continued with me in my temptations, and I appoint unto you a kingdom, as my Father hath appointed unto me, that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom, and sit on the thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So he's speaking to the twelve disciples here, and he says that y'all continued with me in my temptations. So again, in the testing of Jesus, his trial. Um, Revelation 3.10. So again, the tribulation is called the trying of their faith. Peter refers to it as the trying of their faith, how they are to endure through it. And that's what the Lord's Prayer is teaching. You need to pray that the Lord deliver you from it. Revelation 3.10, it says, Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, I, will, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So again, the hour of temptation to try them is a trial. Um, it's that great tribulation. And God will keep those, again here, uh, who have kept his word. Right? what it says there in Revelation 3.10. Revelation 12, we read uh, verse 12 and 13, talking about how Israel will be nourished, talking about their daily bread. But if you start in verse 12 and read uh, to verse 16, it says, Therefore rejoice ye heavens, 
And he that dwell in them, woe to the inhabitants of the earth and of the sea, for the devil is come down unto you, having great wrath, because he knoweth that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast into the earth, he persecuted the woman, which brought forth the man-child. And to the woman were given two wings of a great eagle, that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she is nourished, for a time and times and half a time, from the face of the serpent. And the serpent cast out his mouth, cast out of his mouth water as a flood after the woman, that he might cause her to be carried away of the flood. And the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened her mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon cast out of his mouth. And the dragon was wroth with the woman, and went to make war with the remnant of her seed, which keep the commandments of God, and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So here what you see is, again, it's metaphors. The woman is Israel. But you see the devil, Satan, attacking them for their testimony they have of Jesus Christ. And you see God providing for them. Right? Talks about him nourishing them in the wilderness. Talks about Satan giving this flood to destroy them. And the earth opens up, and the flood goes in the earth, right? And it protects Israel. Uh, again, this is the tribulation Revelation is dealing with, and this is a prayer that the disciples are to pray, deliver us from that evil, right? Lead us not into temptation, into this trial, but deliver us from it. And you see God doing that with that faithful remnant uh, throughout uh, Revelation, right? And throughout prophecy, it talks about how he will keep those who keep his covenant, uh, those who endure to the end, right, receive salvation. And so this prayer that it's called the Lord's Prayer, where that people pray in churches every day. It's really not the Lord's Prayer. He never prayed it. It's a prayer for the disciples that he's teaching them, this is how you ought to pray when you go through the tribulation, when the kingdom's coming, when my wrath comes. Um, that's what this prayer is for. And so that's why you see these things like uh, provide our daily bread, deliver us from the evil, um, thy kingdom come, right? This is the prayer that they're going to be praying during that tribulation. And so the last point I'm going to make, and it's kind of a question, you can do more study on your own, but if this prayer is a model for us as members of the body of Christ to follow today, then why did Paul write, under inspiration of the Holy Ghost, Romans 8, 26, uh, where he says, Likewise, the Spirit also helpeth our infirmities, for we know not what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit itself maketh intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. So Paul says, we, as members of the body of Christ, know not how we ought to pray. So the Spirit makes intercession for us. Well, don't you know, Paul, that the Lord told us how to pray? What are you talking about? We don't know how we ought to pray. We have the Lord's Prayer as our model prayer, and this is what we pray. Right, would be uh, the point I'm trying to make there. Why would Paul write this if the Lord's Prayer was for us to pray every day, every week? It was a model prayer for us to just utter these words day in and day out. Right? And again, that's not what it is. It's a prayer for Israel during the tribulation and what they need to be praying for during that time, not for us today as members of the body of Christ. So any thoughts or questions?